Duty is defined as a task that one is required to perform, a responsibility, a legal responsibility. You are owed a duty by others at all times, whether a sole person or a huge corporation. You are owed a duty to be safe from negligent, careless, intentional acts that cause you serious damage, death, permanent injury, catastrophic loss. Others have caused a breach, a breach of the duty due you and yours. Your only recourse is to pursue a legal claim. It is impossible to turn back time so that the injury and damage did not occur. Monetary compensation is the only alternative, both to compensate you for your loss but also to confirm the conduct of the wrongdoer. Motor vehicle accidents, slip and fall injuries, assault, dangerous products, workplace injuries, animal bites, defamation, these are a portion of the wrongs that are inflicted on you and yours. Upsitnik and Associates can make the difference. Al Upsitnik has litigated, tried, and settled injury claims throughout the United States in his home state of Pennsylvania, but also New York, Maryland, and Alaska, just to name a few. When duty is breached, contact Opsitnik and Associates to make things right. For you, for yours. Contact them toll-free, 1-866-391-3299, or visit them on their Facebook page, Opsitnik and Associates, or their website, OpsitniksLaw.com. See the links in the description below for more information. Hello, everybody. Zach here again, and we're back with another episode of A Holiday History. A couple weeks ago, I did one on Valentine's Day to kind of compare the beginning of the holiday, the history of the holiday, to see where we're at. And I was literally inundated with a comment, so I figured, why don't we do one on St. Patrick's Day? And I'm not alone this time. Rye is with me. Hello. And what we're going to do is, because it's after St. Patrick's Day, we gave people time to uh, get rid of their hangovers, as it were, and kind of go through a little back history of St. Patrick's Day and to see kind of where everything came from. Yeah. So we did some note-taking, and I think we should, kind of like what I did with... uh, the Valentine's Day thing is start off with the namesake, and that would be St. Patrick himself. Mm-hmm. I guess probably the biggest misconception is St. Patrick himself uh, was not Irish. No, he was uh, British. Yeah, because it was, it was born in Roman Britannia, and there's all these people that make the claim because it was a Roman territory at the at the time that St. Patrick is Italian. Well, n- not really. Yeah, no. It was... uh, I mean, it, it would be cool, but... So St. <laughs> Patrick, who did become the patron saint of Ireland, is actually British. And Eng- yes. English, I should say. Yes. Um, And he was... I mean, nobody really knows when and where, but they know it was somewhere in Britannia. And what is it? They're thinking somewhere... His life was somewhere around 385 to March 17th of 461 A.D. Yeah. And, see, this is interesting, though. Hmm. At the age of 16, kidnapped by Irish pirates. <laughs> which, did you know there was a such such a thing as Irish pirates? I did not. 
No, so he was kidnapped by Irish pirates, um, was taken to Ireland as a slave for, what, six years? Yeah. And then escaped. Escaped. Yeah. And then eventually he went back to Ireland to convert everybody. Mm-hmm. So, and that's how he became really associated with Ireland and actually is credited with the founding of uh, Catholicism in Ireland. Oh, and what a journey that was. Yeah, that's never led to any problems whatsoever anywhere in Ireland. <laughs> Half the world's population owes old St. Patrick there. Yeah, there has been literally not one issue with Catholicism versus Protestantism anywhere well, but... in the United Kingdom, ever. Yeah, exactly. There's that and just go forth and multiply as Catholics did. Right, and weirdly, um, this is something I didn't know until we were doing the research on it. Though he is dubbed St. Patrick and the 17th is the Feast of St. Patrick, yeah, he was never officially canonized. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, I can't remember what the term is, maybe venerated? Mm. Where it's kind of accepted that there is saint, but he technically, he never was canonized, never was you know, documented with miracles or whatever other steps it takes to canonize somebody. Yeah, which is interesting. But, I mean, I was able to do a little more background with St. Valentine because there was a lot more people that they thought was that St. Valentine that they could kind of sponge from, but this one is pretty much just this guy. Yeah. Uh, Just St. Patrick, and so I think we should just kind of take a look at... uh, some of the facts, quote-unquote facts, misconceptions, are just things that we've glommed onto over the years about St. Patrick and St. Patrick's Day. I was going to say, speaking of, you know, quote-unquote miracles, shall we talk about the snakes? We shall talk about the snakes, because the legend is that St. Patrick drove the snakes from Ireland, right? Yeah. Um, As it turns out... Yeah. The Ireland never- is... Yeah, Ireland really has not ever had snakes, apparently. Yeah, I was going to say, they've even dug into the fossil record, and there is no evidence of any snakes at all in the fossil record of Ireland. Which is kind of fascinating to me, like, not even little garter snakes. Yeah, so, you know, regardless of whether or not you believe that he actually did that, it's just the fact remains that... There were never any snakes in this country. I mean, yeah, I know it's on an island, but I'm pretty sure there have been snakes in England. Yeah. And snakes in Scotland. I live on an island and we have snakes. Well, exactly. You know, and if you think about it, technically we all live on an island. That's true. But I've always felt that was just really, really interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't know that until we started digging that there was no snakes in Ireland, I just kind of assume everywhere has at least some kind of snake. Yeah, you would think that, but no. Apparently, I, I think it's what, Ireland and maybe Iceland. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. They don't do well. No, in the cold. No. Mm-hmm. no, and then what else do we find? Oh, the leprechauns. Yeah, that one I knew a little bit more. Just, I mean, it sort of goes to common sense that kind of the stereotypical leprechaun is based on you know, sort of Celtic mythology. Yeah, it's basically, it's their version of, what would it be, like a sprite or a fairy or a nymph? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the leprechaun. Yeah. And it's, uh, I can't even pronounce it, and I'm going to botch it because I can't speak Irish. Yeah, the Loberkin or Loberson. Loberkin, yeah, Loberchin, uh, or small-bodied fellow. Yes. And really, leprechauns, they've always kind of gotten the, you know, to us outside of Ireland, we've always thought of them as just kind of little tricksters with the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. But in actuality, they are very deep in the Irish mythology. Hmm, yeah. And what? They can, what is it, they mend shoes? Yeah, which is sort of interesting. Yeah, of the other fairies, not of humans. You know, they can, <laughs> they're kind of ambivalent to humans, but can, you know, be good or bad to them, which I think is fu- kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. So we have, and the leprechaun has always been a symbol of St. Patrick's Day in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, but probably the biggest symbol is the shamrock. Yeah, which apparently in ye olden days was a sacred plant. Yeah, and it's it is a it's a clover, the three leaf clover, which oftentimes sometimes can have the four leaves. I was going to say it's interesting that it's a three leaf because you know you spend all your time trying to find that four leaf clover, right? Yeah, and to kind of compound with um, the Catholicism in Ireland, what was the you know the significance of the three leaves is the Holy Trinity. Yeah, so that makes sense. You know, where did the four come from? Right, and or maybe. You know, it was just something just so rare, mm. you know, and you'd have to spend so much time looking at these, you know, patches of clover to see if you could actually find it. Satan. Yeah, but, you know, and I don't know what the significance in Ireland between four and luck is, but usually four really isn't a lucky number. Hmm, so that was kind of interesting. As far as I've seen. And now this is something... Um. Uh, you know, the the St. Patrick's Day Parade is huge, and it's all over the world. Yeah. But guess what, everybody? Where was the first one held? That's right. The United States. In Florida. Yeah, see, I always thought it was New York. A lot of people would have picked uh, New York, or at least somewhere up in that New England like, area, right? Or like the big Irish neighborhoods, like New York, Boston, Chicago. I would have guessed probably Boston, just because it's the sort of Irish identity is so deeply ingrained in Boston. Oh, yeah. I mean, Boston is huge Irish neighborhood. Chicago has a lot of uh, Irish roots. You know, more Florida, so. not at all, especially when you're talking about Florida in uh, the 1600s. I was going to say, especially when you're talking about Florida over 150 years before the formulation of the United States. You know... Sort of, you're looking at, yeah, you know, a big Spanish population. Yeah. So, yeah, fascinating. Apparently it was uh, held on March 17th, 1601, in a Spanish colony that now is St. Augustine. Which I believe is the oldest, what is it, the oldest city or settlement in the United States is St. Augustine? Mm. Just historically, but... I I wonder why. I mean, I you know, this is just like a cursory overview, but I'm very curious as to what the significance between St. Augustine, Florida, and yeah. what, what was then Spain, basically. 
Yeah. You know, it was a Spanish territory in the 1600s up until the U.S. bought it. Mm-hmm. Why a Spanish a Spanish territory across the Atlantic Ocean would have a St. Patrick's Day parade? Apparently it was organized by the, the city's vicar. He was an Irish vicar. Ah, see, that would do it. So maybe, you know, he brings it over. Mm. You know, to kind of, uh, you know, celebrate the patron saint of Ireland because, you know, he is officially one of, I think, two or three patron saints of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of, I think there wasn't much for over a century. And then the next sort of big uh, parade in America was in 1737. And that one was in Boston. Right. And that makes sense because that was the big Irish stronghold in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, seventeen thirty-seven. We still don't. We're still Britain, technically. Yeah. So it was organized by homesick Irish uh, soldiers who were serving in the English military. Exactly. You know, because you know, even back then, you know, England and Ireland were always kind of. Uh, what's the word I want to use without offending anybody? <laughs> you know, kind At of tied all... hand in hand, whether or not they wanted to be. Exactly. Um, so that, but I just think it's fascinating that 400 years there's been evidence of St. Patrick's Day parades in the United States. Mm-hmm. In Florida, uh, of all places, which is just unusual. Exactly. Uh, speaking of things that sort of came along with that was corned beef and cabbage. Ah, yes, the traditional... Irish St. Patrick's Food. Day meal. Now, number one, I love corned beef and cabbage. Yeah. Uh, but I know, yeah, it, you know, much like the fortune cookie, it was an American innovation. Mm hmm. Uh, apparently in Ireland, and if any Irish people are listening, the traditional dis- dish is more ham and cabbage. Yeah, and it's ham, but over here, was it because. They had to corn it, which is actually a process of kind of preserving it. Yeah, because they couldn't afford ham. Yeah, and once again, this is from the Irish immigrants living in probably New York. Yeah, the slums of, you know, places like Manhattan, you're sort of looking at, you know, the Irish tenements. Yeah, exactly, the Irish tenements that you read about. And, you know, so they get whatever cuts of meat they can get, and corned beef historically was always like a really fatty tough or you know just an an undesired cut yeah so they would corn it in this in a basically a brine and a seasoning mix and then boil it Mm. which is you know how you have to do it you you brine it and then boil it several times to cook it and then get rid of all that salt yeah and everything and you know? Yeah, apparently cabbage removes some of the brine, which is fascinating. Yeah, cabbage cabbage really is a wonder food. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. You know, it's, yeah, yet another sort of food that if you're sort of in the U.S. or uh, in Canada, because we, you know, get a lot of American culture, mm. is very, very tied to certain ethnic groups. And then as an adult, you find out that if you actually go to, you know, wherever... It's not a food there at all. Right. It's like um like spaghetti bolognese. Mo- yeah. <laughs> which is named after, uh, you know, the Italian city of Bologna. You go there, they don't have it. 
Well, apparently sort of most of our ideas, uh, spaghetti and meatballs, not really... Yeah, not not a traditional meal in Italy. I mean, they have spaghetti and they have meatballs, just not mixed together. You know, most of our quote-unquote Chinese food, you're not going to find in China. Not in that way. No, no, absolutely not. You know... So it's just kind of interesting. So corned beef and cabbage is sort of another one of those ones where, yeah, if you're here, you know, you sort of grow up with this image of, you know, people in, in Ireland, you know, having corned beef and cabbage. And then it's... And then you find out, it's like, wait a minute, no, we do that. Yeah. Very, very American. Um, You ever have corned beef and cabbage? I honestly have not. I'm not a huge fan of uh, sort of Greens. corned... Yeah, well, that and sort of corned meat. Oh, see, I love it. Like, especially like, you know, brine nicely, thin sliced on a sandwich. You know, any good New York or Jewish deli. Mm, corned beef, that's where it's at. Moving on. Well, this is uh, one I, I actually knew about for a while, and it kind of blows Yeah, I remember you mentioning mind. it. Yeah, it kind of blows people's minds because... You know, what is it, like, you know, they say if you don't wear green on St. Patrick's Day, they come and pinch you or whatever? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, you're not wrong if you don't wear green, technically, on St. Patrick's Day. Because apparently it was St. Patrick's blue. Yes, St. Patrick's color is blue. It's a like mm-hmm. a kind of a light powder blue shade, and it was on the old Irish flags and the old, you know, the Irish, uh, the Irish army. Mm-hmm. His armbands. Yeah, apparently the green started uh, in 1798 with the Irish Rebellion, which used a clover as a symbol of nationalism. Right, because I think the clover was predominant, maybe even native to the British Isles. Mm-hmm. And then everybody just sort of took that, and now green is sort of... Yeah, it's green just kind of everything. Protein. Green beer, green food, green mustard, green blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting that, you know, historically, green really has nothing to do with St. Patrick's or St. Patrick's Day. No, but it, I mean, you know, it makes sense if you think about it. You know, the clover, Ireland, the Emerald Isle. Oh, it definitely does, and you have to kind of feel like it. It certainly was great for marketing, right? You can reissue everything just green or with a shamrock on it. Right, exactly, and... You know, so it is what it is, and that's what, you know, I found out with Valentine's Day is a lot of the quote-unquote traditions that came about were a marketing decision. Yeah, that's not surprising. You know, like greeting cards and candy and whatnot. So this does make sense, you know, so brand it. It's kind of the St. Patrick's Day brand. Slap a shamrock on something, coat it green, and there you have it. Charge an extra $5. (laughs) I defy you that M&M's are not a historic Valentine's Day food. Hey, man, listen to that show. There's some interesting stuff about uh, the Valentine's candy. Uh, Speaking of things kind of as part of the manufactured thing, shall we talk about the drinking? Yeah, the fact that it was actually illegal for pubs to be open in Ireland up until pretty recently. What, the 60s or 70s? Yeah, to the 60s. Yeah, I mean, it, because it wasn't even a holiday in Ireland until the early 1900s. Yeah, and apparently, you know, Ireland being uh, so heavily Catholic, 
St. Patrick's Day would often fall during Lent. Yeah. Which, you know, is sort of meant that, you know, you weren't going to be out partying and drinking. No, because Lent, for people that don't know, is the time of kind of repentance for the Catholics. You know, it's supposed mm-hmm. to be the three pillars of Lent. It's um, it's prayer, uh, fasting, and I think the third is almsgiving. Yeah, you know, so it's sort of a time of reflection and yeah, it's you know, sort of the idea. And a lot of people take it now, you know, don't eat meat on Fridays, you know, give up things, you know, give up vices that you would have mm-hmm. for the 40 days of Lent. So a lot of people would you know, give up drinking and they wouldn't allow the pubs until the 1960s in Ireland to be open on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. You know, if you ask me, Oh, it is, but you know, uh, all the other places certainly did it more than enough drinking for Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) U S especially. I remember working at, um, at a beer store, and at a bar on St. Patrick's Day, and holy God. I was going to say, my God. You know, let's, uh, you know, quick sidebar story. I was at the beer store, and a guy came in wearing a kilt, which, you know, if you've never worn a kilt, I now understand why women love dresses so much. Yeah. It's very freeing. <laughs> let's put it that way. But he comes in yeah. the kilt, the sporin, the whole deal. And he comes up with probably the worst Irish accent ever. You know, like the patio furniture Irish Irish accent. Mm. Um, And he's like, oh, I'd like me a case of the finest Irish stout. (laughs) And it's like, dude, number one, I know who you are. You're not Irish. I know for a fact he's not Irish. Um, And number two... I don't know if it's changed, but back in those days, this was probably over 10 years ago, the majority of the Guinness that came into the United States was brewed in... You want to hazard a guess? Canada. Exactly. It was brewed in Toronto. Oh, God. But ironically, (laughs) I've heard Irish people saying that the canned stout, you know, with the little thingy in it, the widget to give the nitro to it, yeah. Is the closest that you're going to find to proper Irish pub stout in the U.S. Toronto did a good thing. Yeah. So Toronto has flooded the United States and various college campuses for years with Guinness. I'm shocked. Toronto did a good. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, I'm going to throw this one to you. Um, you know, his name wasn't actually even Patrick. Yeah, that's... I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes uh, sense because, you know, names like that, you know, unless you were from, you know, like a royal family or whatever, you wouldn't get a name like that. Yeah. So, again, I'm sorry for the pronunciation, but his name at birth was Maywin Sukat. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's how it is. It's M-A-E-W-Y-N, so probably Maywin or Mywin. Yeah. Yeah, Sukat, and changed it to Patricius. Which, there's the Roman. Right, there's the Roman, the Latin. Patricius. Patricius, when he became a priest. Mm-hmm. Which then, of course, is anglicized into, you know, Patrick. Yeah, exactly. We just told it makes sense, Patricius to Patrick. Now, this is something I'm glad you added to the notes. 
the surprising countries that celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, some of these were really fascinating uh, sort of countries where you, one, didn't really think of them as having much of an Irish uh, sort of, you know, community. And two, some just, you sort of think of them being a little more conservative. So, you know, St. Patrick's Day kind of being an excuse to kind of drink, party, well, you as know. We would, as we would call it, amateur night, one of several. Yeah, it's sort of interesting that it's even allowed in certain places. Yeah, and I mean, the first one, uh, the first country on the list, I'm not that surprised that it's permitted, but it's just the fact of where it is, is Argentina. Yeah, that one is sort of interesting. Apparently in Buenos Aires, they do St. Patrick's Day celebrations. Yeah, and, you know, you don't think of... I mean, it maybe kind of makes sense. There's a lot of uh, Catholics in the Spanish-speaking countries. Yeah. But at the same time, that's a completely different culture. You know, they never really even had any interaction with Ireland because Argentina, you know, I think at the time was... What, Spanish territory, or...? Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah, and it's like, wow. And they, apparently, I've seen pictures, they have a massive, like, Carnival-esque style St. Patrick's Day parade. Mm. Which would be something uh, to behold. Yeah. The next one I'm not super surprised at. I mean, having other... Having St. Patrick's Day celebrations in Europe isn't super surprising. <laughs> no, and especially this one because of the proximity. So we're talking about Norway. Apparently there's a big festival in Oslo. Yeah. So that's not super surprising, but it's it's interesting. No, but this one is surprising. Turkey. Yeah, that one. Uh... And, and it's not, I mean, it's one, it's a completely different culture, completely different religious base, and even completely different values. I know you can drink in Turkey. It's not like, um... Uh, Saudi Arabia, which is a dry country, but the fact that there's probably not a whole lot of drinking to excess in the Middle East. No, so that one kind of surprised me that, yeah, in sort of a, at least what I would say is sort of a a reasonably conservative Muslim country that you're going to have apparently quite lively, large St. Patrick's Day celebrations. That's what I heard, because when I saw it on the list, I was like, no, there's no way. And then you look at it, it's like, oh my God. Yeah, it's like you know the St. Patrick's Day parties and or parades in Istanbul are pretty pretty big. Yeah, apparently also Izmir, Ankara, Bodrum. Like it's not just the yeah, one it, place. It's not just you know Istanbul. No, Ankara is what the capital. Yeah, is that where the Taj Mahal is, or is that another A city? I believe that is. I'm not sure though. Yeah. Or no, I'm sorry, uh, no, that's ne- in India, not in Turkey. Nah, wow. Well, because India's on the list as well, so I just kind of jumped the shark. Uh, but, next one... But speaking um, of conservative kind of, countries... Well, it's not just that, it's just, again, um, you just... Well, Japan, you don't think of it having large sort of uh, immigrant enclaves in general. They're kind of careful about not allowing that. Yeah, but if you look at it... Um, Japan is, in Tokyo especially, they put on the parade since 92, which is very recent, which makes sense with what you just said. Mm-hmm. And they get a lot of, um, you know, Irish expats going over there and settling. Mm. And now I would love to see that. I mean, if it's, 
<laughs> I mean, you, you look at it, it's kind of like the Japanese take on St. Patrick's Day, you know, with the kind of Asian spin to it. It's like, it's very interesting. It definitely is. Uh, looking at the pictures and some of the videos we watched, it was it was pretty cool. You know, they, they yeah. go all in on it. Oh, they do go all in and the outfits are beautiful. Yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, next one, again, since it's Europe, it's not necessarily super surprising, but uh, again, this is sort of one of the more conservative European countries. Yeah, that's been through a lot, and that's Croatia, you know, part of the USSR, then part of Yugoslavia. Yeah, so you apparently know, in places like Zagreb. a country within the past 30 years. Hmm, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and then we'll go on to India. You know, mm. yeah. back, speaking of Taj Mahal. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we brought it back full circle. But, you know, again, <laughs> it's, I don't know. Like, I don't know much about the Indian culture. I mean, are there's, I know there's probably a lot of parts of them that's very conservative. There are, but at the same but time, at the same time they I can really sum it up let... in one word is Bollywood. Well, that's it. And you also look at something like uh, Holi, the Holi, the festival. Oh, Holi. Yeah, that's a crazy festival. You know, they can really let loose uh, when Indians decide to party. They do. And I mean, St. Patrick's Day kind of fits right in with it. You're talking bright colors, big celebration. Yeah. You know, well, so I get it actually. If, I mean, if nobody ever, if nobody knows what that is, Google it. It's it's a, an amazing, amazingly beautiful looking holiday. Yeah, you know, so I can, it doesn't honestly sort of surprise me there, even though it's, you know, some people might just look at the surface and be like, well, it's a culture clash, but in some ways it's really not. No, but what is surprising is that they have Irish pubs in... <laughs> it's it's a little weird to think of Irish pubs, you know, in some of these places. But then again, if you think about it, you know, with India being a British uh, colony for so long up until rather recently... True. You know, it, it does kind of make sense that they would start to bring over, you know, a lot of stuff. That's why, you know, in in, in England especially, you know, everybody wants a curry. Mm, you know, true. A, a lot of the curry dishes that we know actually were probably invented in England rather than India. Yeah. Well, uh, and the last on the list is this probably one the most surprising. Me a lot. Yeah. Uh, the United <laughs> Arab Emirates. Hmm. Which, yeah. you know, you don't think of them as being fun-loving or, you know, letting loose. You think of them for other things, mainly, you know, human rights violations. Yeah, they're sort of interesting because, you know, uh, Dubai <laughs> is sort of, you know, it's one of the most modern cities and they kind of have this dichotomy where, you know, there is that the sort of strictness but at the same time there's sort of almost this other side yeah they're it's kind of like japan in that way you know they're very strict and very subdued but at the same time they go all out yeah you know when they just sort of decide to they can they sort of have you know this luxury class yeah you know so like you'll see lots of like sports cars and you know, sort of all these other kind of luxury items and, and sort of this big, I don't really know any other way to say it, but kind of this big baller lifestyle well, all exactly over the Well, that's exactly what it is. It's like, you know, the big baller, you know, bling everywhere. 
you know, it, it really is incredibly fascinating. So apparently they kick off with some pretty big uh, celebrations. You know, I'm surprised. It doesn't really shock me because they probably get a lot of tourists from the UK. You know, and it's like, hey, you know, let's cater to the tourists. We like pubs. We like food. We like partying. You know, kind of a good match made in heaven there. And, you know, I mean, really, who doesn't like to party every now and then? Exactly. Uh, on a similar note, we'll go down some of the, in the U.S., the biggest St. Patrick's Day attractions. Yeah, and mostly, obviously, it's going to be parades. Yes. Who doesn't love a good parade? Um, exactly. So, I mean, obviously, the big one you think of is New York City. Yeah. So, apparently, that one was first held in 1762. Yeah. And And apparently, it now attracts over 2 million people. Yeah. Well, I mean, this year was obviously a little different, but... Yeah, I mean, the St. Patrick's Day Parade in... um, New York is the biggest by far. I mean, two million people showing up at a parade is kind of... Insane. Yeah, kind of insane. Um, uh, interestingly, I've been, you know, another very uh, iconic one, as it were. Yeah. Is the dying of the Chicago River in Chicago. Yeah. They dye the river green, which... Look, I grew up near an industrial city, a formerly industrial city that had rivers. It don't take a whole hell of a lot to dye a river green in those kind of areas. (laughs) True, true. You know, but, uh, you know, and Chicago has a long history of uh, Irish pubs and Irish roots and the Irish population. Yeah. Yeah, they dye the river green. They have a big parade. Um, Boston obviously has a big parade. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Apparently it's the third largest. Yeah, the third largest. But this is one I added just because it kind of goes back to the Florida thing. Mm. And it goes back to something we talked about before. An up-and-coming St. Patrick's Day parade in an article I read is actually Savannah, Georgia. Which, again, yeah, is sort of fascinating. Um, Not the sort of cultural group I would pick for southern U.S. Yeah, but apparently, you know, it's been growing and growing, and now they're up to over, like, 15,000, 20,000 people a year come to the Savannah's, or come to Savannah's St. Patrick's Day Parade. Yeah, which is cool. Do you you have one, any, in, in your area? I think we do, um... But it's such a, you know, I live in a pretty small city and we're not sort of huge on big parades. Right. Um, You know, our local uh, Canada Day parade that we have is actually about 90% American bands. They come up just to do practice. It's because we're awesome. You know, which is great because they're usually way better than our bands, (laughs) our high school bands. Well, you know. So, it's it's really cool, but it is just, you know, it's a Canada Day parade, and we've got, you know, Seattle, everywhere from practically Seattle almost down to the southern U.S. Yeah. And, you know, other countries. Now, looking at the ones we've looked at and other pictures that you've seen as we kind of, you know, bring this one to a close, because people are probably still hungover 
what, five days after the fact. <laughs> um, which of the ones we talked about would you most be interested to see? Uh, I would want to see probably the Boston one. Yeah. Just because, for one, I'd want to see Boston in general, because it's such a historic place. Yeah, plus you just kind of want to see a line of pipers and drummers. I like pipers. I know they're not for everybody, but I love bagpipes. Well, the bagpipes in the hand of a skilled piper, I'm in. Mm. Yeah. Otherwise, it sounds (laughs) like you're hitting a cat with a vacuum cleaner. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly, you know. So I'd like to I think that one would be neat to see. I honestly would probably like to see some of the international ones. Yeah, I mean those ones would be cool too. Just to see their take on it, you know, you know, being a lover of international cinema, I see what, you know, India and Bollywood does to movies. Mhm. You know, the pageantry and everything, and I want to see their take on a on a St. Patrick's Day parade. Yes. You know, or Japan, the things that, you know, Japan can come up with, you know, in the movies and TV. Yeah, that one I would like to see, too. Or hell, Argentina, you know, Buenos Aires is, like, one of the big carnival capitals. And those celebrations are are crazy. (laughs) So what happens when they get their hands on such a really strange holiday to them yeah you know and they're gonna embrace and i think it's interesting to think of and maybe get your thoughts on this and correct me if i'm if you think i'm wrong not only are they kind of adopting the irish culture but in a in a way and maybe in a grander sense they're adopting the irish american or the americanized irish i think in a lot of ways yeah You know, because so much about sort of St. Patrick's Day, you know, comes out of, you know, America, which isn't surprising. You guys have such a massive sort of reach of culture. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, back in the day, we were truly the melting pot of the world. And just, you know, sort of the reach of uh, just everything, American music, movies, TV. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that kind of steers people's sort of perceptions of of a lot of things so you know i think it's kind of another one of those things that definitely a lot of it sort of is is a very americanized take on it absolutely and i would just love to see the argentinian take on an americanized version of an irish thing yeah exactly and you know we're sort of going you know second hand third hand fourth hand now (laughs) right exactly and to me that's where you're going to get some incredible things yeah, it could definitely get kind of crazy. Um, what did you do on St. Patrick's Day? Uh, honestly, don't think I did anything. I don't think I did anything either. You know. <laughs> uh, let it pass quietly. Exactly. Avoided the roads. Yeah. Is the big thing. <laughs> so, I mean, but if you look at it, you look at the, tr- at the traditions, there really aren't any true, you know, traditions to the actual Feast of St. Patrick, because it was initially just created to honor St. Patrick when he was, I think he was martyred? Mm-hmm. I know St. Valentine was martyred as well, but I so I, I assume Patrick was. Yeah. But 
you know, so all of this really, in a sense, was an American, especially an American creation, a Western creation. Yeah. You know, for better or worse. And you know what? You know, yeah, they got the colors wrong. And yeah, St. Patrick wasn't Irish. And yeah, there was never any snakes in Ireland for him to drive out. Mm. But, you know, sometimes it just, you just got to let it go and say, yeah, you know what? That's all right. We're going to have fun with it. Well, that's the thing, and I think it sort of follows, you know, not to go too deep with it, but, you know, it sort of follows the struggle of immigrants who move to the U.S. and trying to find that line of, you know, how much culture do you keep? And then in subsequent generations, you know, sort of what, you know, finding your place or a way to celebrate, you know, maybe when you don't know that much about, you know, your parents or grandparents or great grandparents you know, culture. Now, that's an interesting way of looking at it that I never really considered before. You know, I think it's sort of easy to just kind of scoff at at some of these, you know, quote-unquote Americanized things, but most of them started up, you know, from immigrants, and it's just as the generations have gone on, maybe they've lost their way a little bit, you know? Yeah, I mean, they they kept the general idea but kind of turned it to a different way. You know, maybe it wasn't originally intended to be spring break, uh, you know, blotto time. No, but, you know, it turned out that way. But you know what? The thing is, a lot of people have fun with it. Exactly. You know, so it's it's interesting. It definitely is. And that's why I think some of the holidays are very interesting. Like, we looked at Valentine's Day, we looked at St. Patrick's Day, and I know the next one I want to do. Easter? No, not really Easter, because we kind of know... I mean, I would like to look at, you know, where, like, the Easter bunny came from. Yeah, what's the bunny thing? And eggs and chocolate and all that. But really, I think one, it's especially it's misunderstood by a lot of people, is Cinco de Mayo. Ah, that would be an interesting one to do. But I definitely want to know, where did the bunny and egg thing come from? I know, so we're going to have to uh, do some research, and we'll get back to you on that one. And since Easter's a floating holiday, we don't know when the hell it is. Yeah, exactly. But we'll get to that one. So there you go, a very, very brief, you know, 40-some minute synopsis of St. Patrick's Day. Um, And again, the problem is we can't really go into too much detail about the namesakes of them because not a lot was known about them. Yeah. You know, it was so long ago and records are spotty at best even from a century ago and you're looking, you know, over a thousand years. Exactly. You know, so you take what you get, but this is what we've turned St. Patrick's Day into, but it is nice that... You know, it, it it is kind of interesting to see it spreading the way it is. Starting, weirdly enough, in Florida, over four hundred Florida. Yeah, over four hundred years ago. Exactly. To now seeing, you know, St. Patrick's Day parades in, you know, Zagreb, Croatia, in Tokyo, Japan. Exactly. You know, and in the, the UAE. Dubai and the United Arab Emirates. You know, it's come a long yeah. way. In a very short period of time, from a relatively small country, yeah, you know, Ireland isn't that big, but it has a it's had a pretty profound effect on uh, world culture. A lot of countries, exactly, oh, on a lot of. <laughs> and it's just interesting. So that's all. That's I think that's the point of it. Is just take a look at 
you know, the days, because now they have these holidays, every day is a something day, there's like 17 of them. Yeah, exactly. You know, but you look at the holidays that are actual, you know, holidays that we have come to know and accept, and it's kind of interesting to see where it came from and where we are with it now. Yeah. So we've gone from, you know, the feast of a martyred saint, a patron saint, to dying a river green. Yes. It's an odd path, but it's a path nonetheless. <laughs> so, for that, for now, we will bid... Oh, and by the way, you know the, the phrase, I think it's, what, Aaron Gabral? Yeah. I, I don't know how it's pronounced. I've never actually heard it said, but you know what that means. What's that? Loosely translated, it means Ireland forever. Hmm. So when you say that, you're pushing the Irish brethren, so... For that one, Leroy has just adjusted himself on the couch next to me. And yeah, I got a phrase for you, too. What's that? America. Exactly. America and its parades. <laughs> God bless you guys. Something has to. So, on that note, for this episode of A Holiday History, I am Zach. I'm Roy. So enjoy your corned beef and cabbage next St. Patrick's Day, and we will see you probably around Easter. Mm-hmm.